Welcome to the Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Dr. Baruch Halevi, and this is the Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. So welcome back to the Defiant Spirit, and well, today I'm not sure it's Wealth 360, but we're going to uh, partner up anyways with my partner in crime in in wealth, uh, Michael Feiner. Hey, Michael. Good afternoon, B. I love so, you. I love your new coat. Thanks. This is my casual Colorado look. Yes, so just casual cold in Colorado look. It's a little bit cold here, but it's always sunny. That's a nice thing about Colorado, even if it's cold. You guys can't always say the same thing up in uh, New England. It's supposed to be cold next week, you know, legitimately cold. So, Yeah, it's pretty cool. When uh, snow falls in Colorado, it's usually melted, certainly off the streets, within 24 hours because it's always sunny. It's almost always sunny. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Um, I remember back in New England, it would fall in like, uh, what, November and go away in about May. Pretty much June. And well, the worst part is how dirty it gets, right? Because it's here so long, it just the snow becomes brown and black and disgusting. That's when you that's when you know you're ready to have you know spring come when when the snow is is dark. That's when you're ready to open an office in Naples. That's why we go to Naples. That's right. And as you so, said, I don't even have to do an office in uh, in Denver. I like I actually like that idea. We're gonna talk about that offline. Denver, we're gonna. I like that. Expand our wealth 360 footprint yeah. into uh, Florida and to Colorado. It's already established in uh, New England. So, yeah. But but today we have a surprise for our listeners. We aren't talking necessarily about wealth. Maybe it'll morph into a conversation. But in fact, we are talking about this slide on the screen, Ted Lasso. So we're going to be coming back to that. First, I'm going to zoom in because I got oh, a complaint. A, Constructive criticism saying they'd like to see us in the shot as much as any slide we're showing. So I'll go back to that. Really? Yeah. They said they oh. want your mug. Was that my mother? <laughs> your oh. mother. She said, yeah, mother, yeah. yeah, a little more Mick in the picture would yeah. be nice. Um, so we're going to talk Ted Lasso. Let's, well, first of all, I guess big picture. I, I mentioned it in our previous podcast on Enneagram 5. Why are we talking Ted Lasso? I mean, Michael's a, a financial expert. I'm an Enneagram expert. We bring these two things together. That makes sense. We talk about wealth through the lens of Enneagram, but the truth is we can talk about anything under the sun through the lens of the Enneagram. Enneagram is a roadmap for life. And so I have found that it makes sense to talk about it, you know, through the lens of investment, through the lens of um, leadership, through the lens of lots of different things. But Nothing more relevant, frankly, than talking about it through the lens of culture, of media, of movies, of TV shows. Well, it's so poignant. You know, it's easy to analogize with a TV show because everyone understands. I, I love this one. Although I loved your yellow. I love. We didn't do a show on Yellowstone, but I loved your Yellowstone. We should do a show on Yellowstone. We're going to revisit Yellowstone. Let's do that. Um, I refuse to do a couple shows. Like I won't do the crown. I don't care what you say, Michael. I'm not doing everyone. Well, yeah, everyone's a one. So don't worry. <laughs> yeah, it's not, not a lot of diversity. Right? <laughs> right. There's not a lot. There's not a lot to talk about there. 
Um, and if they, if they are, they're in trouble. <laughs> so, yeah, so we'll wait till the Meghan Markle, uh, Prince Harry documentary comes yeah. out. Maybe we'll do it on that. But um, yeah, I think we're going to do Yellowstone. Um, we're open to suggestions for those of you listening. One of the reasons why I just like doing it um, through TV shows or movies is because it brings to life some of these things that, you know, the numbers that we're throwing around, you can see it and then you can watch the TV show and feel like you're not totally just wasting time. You're also doing some research, R&D. So we're going to look, look at... Um, we're going to look at Ted Lasso. Let's start out before we jump into the Enneagram types. What did what did this uh, show do for you? Did you like it? Obviously, you liked it. Why did you like it? Yeah, you know, I, I did love the show. Um, I came to it a little bit later than, than some people. Mm -hmm. As people said, hey, you got to watch Ted Lasso. And I said, well, what's it about? And it was sort of like Game of Thrones when the tone was about. I'm like, I'm not into that type of thing, so I don't want to watch it. And then one day I was desperate on a plane and I said, oh, I'll, I'll watch it and fell in love with how clever it was and what it was about and, and whatnot. I'm exactly like you. You know, I, I think it also speaks to our um, Enneagram types. Michael's a three, uh, an achiever. I'm an eight, a challenger. And if I'm going to watch something, usually it's going to be along those lines where it's going to be a little more aggressive probably got to have some blood and violence involved for me as an eight. Um, I like, I, I like action. Right. There you go. I like uh, battlefield stuff. And so for me to watch, it was a little bit of a stretch, probably not so different for you. Yeah. For me, I like to watch documentaries. I like to watch biographies. I like to watch, you know, nonfiction when I can't, I don't, I don't read a lot of fiction and I don't, you know, but Again, I, you know, breaking out of my type, I'm like, wow, I loved it. So I've, I've got to break my my three habits. So, yeah, three is all about efficiency. Yeah, the show is a what? If you had to say the show, what? If you just had to say, what is the show? What's the enneagram of the show? Well, I think because it is all about Ted Lasso and the people, you know, sort of exist around him. He's the son, S U N. Yeah, and they're all revolving around him. So I would say it's what he is, and I think he's a two. Okay, um, yeah, that makes sense. But I, kind of a two. Yeah, but I've heard it argued that he's a seven, and we're going to talk. You know, there's no clear, definitive. He's this. I think he's a two, but I could hear the case that he was a seven. So it's either a two or a seven. Yeah, um, makes sense. And the show is like that. It is an uplifting. Mm -hmm. positive show and i can see that a twos and sevens are kind of uplifting people right or they're generally yeah positive. try to be positive right so they're part of a particular um triad where they're called the outlook a positive outlook two seven and nine yeah and so you see that two seven and nine have a positive outlook and so i imagine most comedies are two seven nine ish right four is going to be a little more you know if you're drama dark thing Five yeah. is going to be like scary uh, Stephen uh, King stuff. Um, but yeah, two, seven or nine, definitely the positive outlook. But that's one of the reasons why I didn't watch it because I'm not positive outlook. I don't like sunny and light and funny um, naturally, normally. Now I can defy that. Hey, that's part of what we're talking about here, defying your numbers. So I, I had to start it, I think, three different times before I could actually get going into it. Oh, really? And by the third or fourth time of watching the same episode, finally something clicked and it became deeply moving to me. I, I can't even explain how moving it was. 
Yeah, there's maybe it's, it, it is one of those shows, and you know that you have to pay attention to. And I was the same way. I think I did. I think started on the plane. I said it was kind of good. I'll pick it. Up. I didn't finish it. And then when I went home and finished it, it, maybe it was at the end of the first episode that it struck me also, and I realized there was a lot more to this, and I kind of needed to fin- you know get to the next episode. And it, it does have this this sublime theme, right? That that tugs at you. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I think that so many people have been taken with this show to the point where I've heard it, I've been to a couple um, services like religious services where the rabbi has spoken about Ted Lasso. One of them was a high holiday sermon around oh, Ted Lasso, and, wow. and this was before I was into it. And I'm like, oh, give me a break! Like really, like this is your, and now I get it. Now, we're going to have some spoiler alerts, I imagine, just because there's no way to talk about it without it. So anybody listening, I'll try and say, we'll try and say spoiler alert so you can put your fingers in your ears. But um, I think one of the reasons why people like this is because it is light and it is funny. But then there's this depth to it that you can understand where some of the humor is built as a defense mechanism around some painful issues. And my brother calls me and says... You know, B, I know you're watching because I talked to him about it. He says, I know you're watching it, but just be prepared in season two. It's going to hit really close to home. And oh, so it yeah. hit really close to home for me. Oh, I, I forgot about all that. That's right. Yeah. I mean, my God, that's, I mean. Um, and so there's this moment. Not even really there. close. I mean, you were the Wizard of Oz and the, the house fell on the witch. And this yeah, I mean, it was season two was. Was the home. Was Is the home, right? And you don't see that coming. No, that's the that's point, the thing. right? That's why you hit by the home. I mean, there's no way you can anticipate season two from right. anything in season one. I, I don't think. Well, let's let's get into maybe, it because maybe, I think you can. Maybe, I think okay, you can you, anticipate you can. it. How come I can't? And you can. Well, I couldn't either because I was caught off guard. But my brother, you know, put, but he, now that I know the enneagram, I know there's a light and there's a shadow, and we have both of them. And sometimes when the the nine two and well, this is a good starting point. Nine, two, and seven. The nine is the peacemaker. For those who are listening, um, I have a I have a slide up with all of the these major characters in uh, Ted Lasso on the Enneagram picture. If you are not watching, you don't have to watch. You can just email me, and I'd be happy to get you the slide. For those watching, you can see as well as I can that we have um, the, the types on here. Well, the nine, the peacemaker, the two, the helper, and the seven, the enthusiast, are all positive outlook. But they also do that at times to cover up some of the darker stuff in their lives. Okay. And I see this working with clients who are seven twos and nines. When you start to dig a little deeper, you start mm-hmm. to realize some of that's a defense mechanism because they don't always want to go deep into the stuff that season two was probably covering up in season one. That That is, I mean, boy... You're hitting me with something very deep there, that insight, right? The, the lighthearted, happy, enthusiastic helpers, you know, like you said, might have something deeper that, you know, is a defense mechanism psychologically. So that's interesting that you say that. Clearly, it's true with Ted Lasso. But it's in, it's interesting to know as you're dealing with relationships, whatever they may be, that that is you've always told me, be careful if a two, something you've told me that that has stuck with me in my notes, because I take notes when B talks to me. It's like Dalai Lama giving you, and sometimes you don't even know it for a while. But 
it struck me probably months after he told me, he said, you know, you're in trouble with a two if they're complimenting you too much. Right. Now, you don't maybe remember telling me that. I remember like, saying oh. it. Yeah. He said, be careful about that because that's a defense mechanism. You know, it's, it could be, you know, there. And I think it's applicable to Ted Lasso probably, the reason I, I mention it. But I've learned a lot from you in that sense. And I can see it now in Ted Lasso that, you know, if you're a helper, if you're two, be careful when they're over complimenting or over helping or that type of thing. You might be, you might be in more, there might be more trouble than you think. So a two when they're in that complimentary mode and in a nine when they're in the head nodding yes and they're saying yes and you're not supposed to really trust the yes of a nine because inside they may be saying no, but they're not voicing it. And a right. seven when they're laughing, when there's too many jokes, when it's too unserious, because each one of those, though seems positive on the surface, again, only when somebody's in reaction, when they're unconscious, when they're unhealthy, they might be using it as a strategy, as a defense strategy, because we're getting too close to something real, darker, deeper, painful. I think you just summarized maybe the emotional background of the show. Yeah. Season right? one, season two. It really is. Season one is one Enneagram and season two is kind of a different one. I mean, they're completely different, dark and light, right? Or Yang and yang, would that yep. be a way to put it? Yeah. And then and also on the Enneagram, you can see two is connected to four. Four is a darker energy type. And yeah. seven is connected to five. Five is a darker, seven is a lighter. Four is a darker, two is a lighter. And nine sits on top and beneath it is four and five. So each one of these has a positive and a negative, a, a light and a shadow. And it's not that we should live in one or the other. We need both. Fours need to look more two-ish. Fives need to look more seven-ish and vice versa. So you're going to see characters in this um, TV show that in some ways I think pair up because they're almost yin-yang. So let's let's get into some of the characters. I guess it makes make most sense to start with Ted. Would you say that's the starting point? Or should we save him for the last? I don't know. I, I can flip a coin on that. I'll, I'll let you, you know. Um, let's, I guess we'll start and finish with Ted because okay. we, we just described, and I, maybe that's a good segue because anybody listening, first of all, these are caricatures. This, you know, these are the, this is Hollywood's version. Although I do think they consult an Enneagram expert. And if not, give me a call Hollywood. Cause, um, there's a lot of truth in the way they're presenting characters, but they're extremes sometimes. Um, the other thing is, you know, every Enneagram type is complex. And so you're going to see the complexity of each type. And let's start with the lighter side of Ted. So describe to us Ted and, and maybe Higgins as well. I wasn't sure he could have been a six. Why would we, yeah. why would I make the case for Ted as a two? Or why would you make the case Mick, for Ted as a two? Well, I think Ted is very, he appears certainly in season one, you know, uh, and initially very agreeable. Mm -hmm very helpful, very friendly, uh, very lighthearted, mm -hmm. um, and finally very humble. Okay. Uh, it's about other, it's about, other, and, and what you've taught me about twos, it's about other people, not about themselves. And I think in season one, he projects that it's about his teams for, you know, Hey, we all know this is about a soccer team or, you know, for, for our, for our European audience, the football team, but <laughs> it's about a soccer, soccer. And it's all about, 
everyone on the soccer team, it's all about his previous football coaching experience that he puts everyone else first. Yeah, and I think you're right to um, to to kind of say that's one of the defining differences that puts him in the two camp because those some people say he's a seven, but sevens are not um, other referencing; they're self-referencing. They it's not selfish or that twos are selfless, but their orientation to the world for twos is other. What's happening around me versus sevens? What's happening in me? And so sevens tend to look a little more selfish and twos tend to look a little more selfless. But I think that's a starting point of how he ends up in a two versus a seven. And it's relationship, relationship, relationship. Ted is all about relationships. Yeah. Um, Sevens can be about relationship, but they tend to be more about the experience. Fun, right? Uh, You know, experiencing the world, nothing wrong with it. Ted feels to me like it really begins and ends around relationships. Certainly, it's a constant throughout both seasons. Clearly, I think I think you're completely on point on that. Um, now, Ted, I do. You know, we're not in deep into subtypes here yet in this conversation, but I will say I put below just to give everybody an understanding of what that is. Their subtype, as far as I could understand it, and so SO means social, and then I put in there he's a two with a W, which stands for wing, and a one. Now, I have very d- definitive views on wings, and I don't think we're one wing or the other. Wings are the numbers on either side of your core type. So his core type is a two, and his wing would either be a one or a three. I'm of the school of thought that says you have two numbers on either side because you have two wings. The Wings are secondary. You can draw upon them pretty easily. Some people will say you lean one way or the other. And since it's kind of the lingo out there, I put in there, if he leans in a direction, it's going to be towards the one. So he's a two that has a lot of oneness. And we'll get into one when we get to Rebecca. So two wing one. Again, too deep probably for this conversation, but I want people to know what you're looking at when you're looking at the slides. So he's a two, a helper. He's relationship oriented. Now Higgins, I have in there, he's, he's a secondary character. But I do think he plays a support role in a lot of people's lives in the show. And that's why I put him into a two. What do you think about that one? No, I think, you know, he isn't. That's the beauty of, I guess, a show like this or kind of the best shows that there are so many good characters and you need these characters. Even just for contrast to the other characters or to to, you need that you need a Higgins for Rebecca and it helps define her with the contrast. Right. Yep. And I, I, I would agree. Um, the wing the wing part of it, I think he's a two. It, it's hard. I was almost thinking he could be a wing three because he's kind of ambitious in the sense of trying to move up the ladder. But clearly, you know, I, I would agree. They're, they're two birds of a feather, him and, and Ted, um, ironically. I think that's a great case. Thank you um, for moving him over to two wing three. If we're going to attach one, because he is, he's a coach. First of all, he's ambitious up to a point though. You know, you see this in the show where his ambition is almost questioned a few times, even by the other coaches. He's not, he's not merciless, ambitious in the sense of not the way you've defined. Of course, the threes always get the bad rap and I'm I'm looking at the two threes that you did. So I'm like, okay, I can see where this this is going. <laughs> Always throw the threes under the Higgins, bus. This, the, the bus. Back the bus. This is the backing of the bus. It's not over even and over again. Yes. Yeah. You um, yeah. 
I, I think Ted leans to the one because there is this sort of moral code with ones. Yeah, um, true. It really does feel. Now, again, threes might be more moral than a one, but we're talking about how they navigate the world and make yeah. sense of it. And it feels to me like Ted leans very heavily on that one. Um, and, and understandably, again, spoil, here comes the spoiler and I'm saying it out, right? Because in season two, you find out that his father committed suicide, killed himself. Oh, yeah. No, 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 that's no, no, no question. I mean, that's obviously a seminal, the seminal event is, aside from, spoiler alert, the divorce, his divorce. Right. You think that's the worst thing that's coming, right. but you realize, because that seems like the thing that's, he's a family man, he's traditional, he's a helper, and he's gets divorced, right? And that really affects him because his, his view of the world. Mm-hmm. And you can see how affected he is. And then you realize when, you know, his father's suicide, you know, his whole, you know, the security issues that he has are just deep. And so one is all about creating a structure. Right. They need structure in their lives. And I experienced this after my father killed himself. I was I was a grown man. Um, but I, I saw this, especially with my younger brother, who was 16, I think, when my father took his own life. And Ted was um, 16 and, you know, in the show when he said when his father took his own life. So my brother um, was, you know, deep. I, we both were deeply hit by it. But my brother, especially my brother's a one. And I could see that framework of the one shattered. Right. And so ones are all about creating a structure and having stability. And so you can imagine it hits different types in different ways. And and so that one piece is very strong in Ted. And I think he's built a moral code and structure and rigor and discipline to survive after that. And so that two wing one is very strong in, in Ted. Um, Higgins is more of a support role. You know, it's interesting because a lot of the best supporting actors and actresses are twos in real life. Like Sally Field is an example. A lot of character actors are twos. They're the types who don't want the spotlight traditionally. They would like to defer um, it to the threes. And that'll move us over to the threes, your favorite. And um, I think that two has a, Ted has a lot of that two second support role, even though he's head coach. And it gets him, by the way, into some trouble not taking on the lead role, the, the spotlight when people want him and need him to. So Enneagram 3, tell us a little bit about the Achiever, since you know him so well. Yes, I'm, I, I, I am a 3. I'm, I'm scanning here for a better example of a 3 in this group of 20, and of course I can't find one. except Jamie Hart turns it around by Season 2. Come on. I know, but he's still – both of these characters are characters we hate. <laughs> At first. It's a spoiler alert, and they're both – ruthless and they're both merciless and they're both you know kind of kind of uh i would say bad people in the show and so with with, with that thank you i'm a three <laughs> and uh, but a three you know at, and tends to seek achievement and, and seek status um and image and is very image conscious and uh you know you're an unhealthy three as I think these two um, are for for Jamie and for Rupert, you do that at the expense of others and at the expense of potentially morals and the expense of of, of a lot of things if you're unintegrated and unhealthy. So, but 
Jamie, you know, in the show is a spoiler, is seeking fame and seeking his upper mobility, doesn't care about the team, doesn't care about other people, doesn't even care about his fiance. Mm-hmm. So he's all about self. And I think that's probably the defining thing that I work on as a three is it, you don't want just to be about yourself and at all, all costs. So, you know, just if people know you and then they look at these two, they go, ah, oh, man, that's so different. First of all, you know, Michael has done a tremendous amount of work in his life. So he's very responsive, not reactive. But secondly, um, your self-preservation three, which kind of mutes the threeness and makes you a little more two-ish. So there's some subtype differences. But I just want to take Jamie as an example because, yeah, Rupert's a schmuck at the beginning and the end of the thing. Yeah. And yeah. I probably could have put him in the eight category. Sometimes it's hard for me to tell um, if they're threes or eights because there's a lot of similarities. But we can talk about the differences. But Jamie is an, a reactive, unhealthy three at the beginning. And by the end, spoiler alert, I'll give you a little pauses so you can push pause. Um, he, in the final shot, the, one of the final, maybe it was the final episode, he passes the ball, which for Jamie was unheard of at the beginning. Right. And at the end, he's a teammate. He's a team player. He's he apologizes. He's kind, uh, as at least as kind as he can be. So there's some growth in that process. And I walked around for like three weeks afterwards, going Jamie, ta 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 ta. Jamie, ta ta ta. So that's uh, stuck in my head. I think that's you know the takeaway that you've taught me in this system is what why are we even doing this? It's the growth. If you can reflect and figure out you know where you are. You can figure out where you want to be. You can you can grow and you can um, defy your number. the areas that you need and evolve. Right. That's right. And That's Jamie, right. yeah, Jay, Rupert didn't, at least not yet. And maybe season three he will. But but Jamie certainly certainly did. Not that he's uh, going to win an Academy Award for his improvement, but it was enough where he became less hateful That's and right. a better person. Um, and you know. It's a transformational character, and I'm looking at all these people. There are certain people who went from good to bad, and we'll talk about Nate probably mm-hmm. in that sense. Jamie went from badder to gooder, if that's for lack of a better crappy English, you know. Um, but there, there was a transformation in, in those two. When I looked at these, those two characters in particular, yes, of, of you know personality. So it's interesting to to see and track track that yeah. possibility. But I think Ted had a, well, Ted and Higgins, you know, Higgins really, twos tend to give away the spotlight, as I've mentioned, and part of the growth journey of a two is to take back their power, their voice, which is why you see a line between two and eight. Twos tend to need to grow and be more like eight in that way of having strength and belief in self. And so you can see Higgins starts standing up for himself. Um, And then Ted, he... um, really follows that four that's maybe a segue into the four because he deepens and he and he kind of gets past that surfacey slapstick can't be real can't go deep you know wouldn't go deep with dr um, feldstone and finally starts to do some inner work and he really follows that two line down into the four and so really lots of these characters are growing from their one side of their you know enneagram type to the higher side so Enneagram 4, I don't have much to say about Nora. I, I'm not even 100% sure she's down here. But Enneagram 4 is it's just a depth of character, of quality, of emotion. Fours really are comfortable in getting into emotion mm-hmm. and dealing in it. 
And you could feel that with Nora. She almost feels like when she's hanging out with her mom, who's sassy up at the seven, almost like she's the parent. Like there's a depth yeah, sure. to this little girl. Sure. Yeah. And so I think Ted really kind of follows that four line down and does some inner work. Fours are all about inner work. And so that's part of Ted's growth path is this four. I don't know. Anything to say about Nora? You want to jump into the fives? Yeah, I think I think you've covered it nicely. I can't really add a lot to, to Nora. She's kind of like a third tertiary character. Okay. Now these fives, um, I wasn't 100% sure. Let's start with the most important one, Coach Beard. I, I think you're spot on with Coach Beard. I mean, he, he he's quintessential, I think, in the sense tell, of tell us about quiet, why. he's a quiet thinker, mm -hmm. pure and simple. Uh, and, you know, I agree with the wing and he's loyal to, second in command to, to Ted mm -hmm. and uh, nothing's going to phase, phase his thinking ever. So. I, I grappled with nine. There is a kind of a peaceful reservedness to him. Um, but there's also this analytical piece that almost trumped it. Because the nines I know aren't quite as analytical. They're, they're quiet. They're reserved. They, they want to build bridges. And fives can do the same thing. But it's coming more at the end of the day from a, an intellectual. Well, uh, you know, our last podcast, Mick, we talked about the five investor as a conservationist. Right, and it's not just money; he, it's like conservation of energy. Go ahead. Well, so he would probably score as a nine. He, was that those are the the feelers, right? Nine. Nines are no nines are less no, feeling type. Think acting. No, they're oh yeah. You do the think acting, feel yeah. So think it, like a five, act like a nine, act like a nine. Excuse me. So I think you're right. He acts like a nine. I think you he would in your excellent algorithms of how you analyze these, I would suspect that he would come out as a think like a five, but act like a nine, exactly like you're saying, because he, he does act that way. He, he never, he, he doesn't ever do anything that, except maybe I won't be a spoiler on a couple of fun little scenes in season, in season two, but he um, makes the piece. He doesn't cause waves. He, um, you know, isn't, isn't one to upset the apple cart. Yeah. And he's even extremely uncomfortable when in those situations, you can tell. Exactly. You yeah. can't get a reaction out of him almost, no matter what you do. Right. So I, I think you're, you're exactly right. The scene, the scene that did it for me though, to put him into five was when he was playing mental chess with his girlfriend. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, night to rook three or whatever. And I was like, ah, oh, geez, that's five ish all over him. So we'll, We'll call him a five. Yeah, and that's why he's the wingman for Ted to probably think about things more than Ted. Ted does things more emotionally, doesn't he? Totally. And and Coach Beard doesn't. Absolutely. He's less. He's anti-emotional almost. Almost. He appears that way. Emotional person on the entire show. And it's interesting because um, one of the key types of dating relationships in the Enneagram world are twos and fives because they counterbalance each other because a five needs the two's access to their heart and a two needs the five's access to their analytics. And so they really complement each other. And so they were not married in the show, but they're best friends they, and coaches. Yeah. Well, they have a, yeah. it's their work marriage, I suppose, yes. if you want to, for yes. lack of a better, you know, analogy. Absolutely. And, and Dr. Feldstone is five, oh. four crossover, deep yeah. withholding emotion 
that's why I put her into the five, but really, yeah. you know, just, yeah, gotta work to get inside to her heart. So she's probably the most five-ish of all the characters that I can. Yeah. Remember. Now that you mentioned that, that's probably, I, I, I can see that now. And Ted turns to her and draws upon her for that strength. He, in some ways, grounds her, just like Coach Beard. It's not coincidental that those are probably, those and then Rebecca will get to are the most important figures in Ted's life in the, in the show. So, and then uh, Trent Krim from the independent um, wasn't a hundred percent sure, but he felt very mm -hmm. like calculated. Yeah, no, he, he, he is a report. He's the reporter, right? So investigator makes a lot of sense. Investigative reporter. I mean, he, yeah. Yeah. There was, there was even a scene where he didn't want to report on something. I think it was Ted's panic attack or something. And, um, but he said, it's my job. Right, that felt very five-ish. So right, yeah, he that that is true. So I like this um, conversation about Nate a lot. We're moving over to six. <clears throat> I put him as a loyalist. Um, <clears throat> we'll talk about what that means, but I wasn't sure because it also he felt like he had a lot of three. Sorry, buddy, um, in him, and I wasn't uh, sure if he was six I, or three. You know, are you just trying to hurt me? <laughs> this is like I feel. What I mean, you feel uh, put well, into a it is ironic, and that's why the show is so good. Nate starts out as probably, arguably, the most lovable character in season one because mm -hmm. you feel sorry for him mm -hmm. and you're rooting for him, right? Without spoiler alert, right? You're just rooting for this guy to, to achieve, and he has a bunch of different pieces. Yep, and then he turns into it's like Darth Vader. It's, it's, right? it's, it's actually, it's almost that bad. It's actually all throughout literature, all throughout history where the protege seeks to kill the mentor. Yes. I, I, this is, this is Star Wars. I feel George Lucas and, you know, Anakin Skywalker and, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I mean, but, but you don't see it coming. I did not, I was again, hit by the bus on, on that. So that's where I'm getting into the loyalist piece because um, you know, loyalists are complicated. The name sounds a little more positive sometimes than it is because loyal, we say loyal and we think, oh, that's a good thing, right? But Nazis were loyal. Right. It depends what you're loyal to. You can be loyal to, you know, you can be a KKK member. Right? Like that's a terrible loyalty. You can be loyal to bad ideas, bad systems, bad operators, bad leaders. Well, I think that they, they feel, you know, and I don't know if this is right, but I think from what I've gathered from you, they feel most comfortable in a crowd. So part of it can be what crowd they end up in, right? So they, they want to be in the crowd. They're comfortable in a crowd, unlike a four, which is uncomfortable in a crowd, right. or maybe an eight wants to run the crowd, but the six wants to be in a crowd. Now, as you know, my father said when I was a kid, it depends what crowd you get into, but... Right. If you're a loyalist, you want to be part of where you feel that. I mean, you can provide more insight, but you can see that in, at least in season one for for Nate. So, yes, and it's a little more nuanced, of course, in that um, there are other types that really want to be in a crowd, in a group setting, like twos, for instance. Sixes grapple a little more with power. Sixes feel insecure. Remember, their core fear of a six is is fear itself, is is not belonging, is 
being left out in the Sahara, you know, not part of the tribe, right. not having a place. So we're in more of a realm of power versus two, which is more relationship. And now we're talking about power. Well, two, uh, sixes are happy to follow, but they're also able to lead. So many presidents were two, uh, sixes. Both the Bushes were sixes. Um, um, what's his name? Uh, I'm not a crook. Uh, was a six. Really? Richard Nixon. Nixon yeah. Nixon was a yeah, six. Sixes are anxious a little bit, right? Is that what they are? I would have thought you know, funny, I would have thought George Bush, you know, W was more of a seven. Okay, but it isn't that they all express their anxiety as fear. They can go the opposite. So remember, okay. there are two really two types of six. There's the phobic six. Yeah. Know, an extreme example of the phobic six is um is uh curb your enthusiasm, Larry David. Oh yeah, Larry David. Woody oh. Allen. Yeah. Neurotic. Yeah. Well, so that's the other six. That's a counterphobic. So that's a yeah. bravado. That's a yeah. tough guy image to under. And I think, I think GW is a, 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 a counterphobic six. So oh, really, so okay. instead of saying, I'm going to embrace my fear and succumb it, it's I'm going to charge head first into the fire, right? We're going to give it to you before you give mm. it to us. And in Vladimir Putin, same way. You know, this KGB fear, anxiety, kind of neurotic, it could either be that you succumb and you just walk around in anxiety or you become a tyrant, you know, in that situation. And we know what Putin chose. Well, I guess it's funny. Nate probably was a phobic six to a counterphobic six, maybe. Would that, would that be a yes. correct analysis? I, th I think that there's a, there's a swing vote that happens in Nate okay. that he's go he wants to be a belong. He's given his power to Ted. And then in the end of season two, spoiler alert, he's um, disillusioned by Ted. He says Ted betrayed him somehow. And so what does he do? He then, spoiler alert, jumps to the other team. And he's now going to head coach the other team. Yeah, so I can't wait for season three now to see what happens. Yeah. And I, I, I considered at first putting him in um, The Achiever, but... The achievers tend not to have that vindictiveness. Yeah, I, I don't see him. I, I, I think you. I think you've hit it exactly right. Yeah. Um, Who knew he'd be the deepest character in the whole place? Yeah, or certainly the most complex. The most, or the most, the continuum was so the widest for him. But that's true with sixes. They have the Is widest it? continuum because okay. there, there's such an extreme difference between. Um, you know, the counterphobic six tough yeah. person and the anxious six. So, and then you look at Isaac as an example. He's a counterphobic six. He's a tough guy. He's like rough and tumble, but there's a fear. There's an anxiety underneath you can feel. Phoebe yeah. just kind of felt. I think is six the most highly anxious group? I mean, number? Five, six, and seven, the head types are all the anxiety types, but six feels it the most. Okay. They live in this constant state of anxiety or fear. Um, yeah. And, you know, like, look, I, as I say to sixes, they're probably right. We're all live on a rock in the middle of outer space, flying around a hot ball of fire called the sun, waiting to die. Like life is freaking scary. Sixes just have a hard time compartmentalizing. it. We, we compartment, you and I compartmentalize it. Yeah, no, I think it's true. And I think sixes, you know, you taught me a lot. It's the hardest for me to recognize. It's also the hardest for me to help people in my business when they're six to deal with that anxiety and to help help with it. So whenever they mistype on a test or they don't know where they fit in, almost always I know they're sixes because there's this like anxiety of committing 
becoming loyal to the wrong number. And uh, this one looks good and this one looks good. And yeah. so there's an anxiety. All right. Moving from the sixes to the sevens, the enthusiasts. I think these ones are the most fun because they are the most fun. Sevens. Tell us about sevens, Mick. No, sevens are the they're the life of the party. They're the happy people. They're um, positive and playful and lighthearted and, you know, want want to have a good time. Don't like pain or probably, you know, you know, don't like pain or enthusiastic. Um, like you said, you call them the enthusiasts. I think of them as, as just um, motivated, enthusiastic, and they love the endorphins. Um, Danny Rojas, um, soccer is life. Life is soccer, right? He's running around. Just he's just a joy. Everybody loves being around him. He lifts everybody up, and yet he crumbles when he hits suffering. Remember that? Remember when he hits the suffering? Oh, I remember. Yeah, yeah. I won't spoiler alert that suffering. Makes everyone sad. That could be the saddest moment in the show. So it, it almost crushed yeah, these are These are people, I think, who want to avoid, is it avoid pain at all costs? Yeah. Pain, emotional suffering, yeah. um, stay at the surface. Again, unhealthy. I know many sevens who have really faced life, gone down into the depths, gotten deeper. But if they don't do the work, they look more like Peter Pan, the boy who doesn't want to grow up. And so Danny is light and easy. And then he hits this roadblock and it almost destroyed him. And then he comes out the other side of it, having done some deeper work, and he's a better person. And that's what I see with sevens. They can grow like no other type. Well, as an example, Vladimir um, uh, Vladimir um, Zelensky is a seven. Ten years ago, he was like a joke comedian, literally a jokester. Now he's leading Ukraine yeah. against the fight against the unhealthy six, right? Huge growth. Yeah, probably again, like he was a, probably a counterphobic seven. Now he... <laughs> Now he's a or a phobic seven, now a counterphobic seven, right? Yeah, I mean, look, sevens in general are the least phobic on surface. So they pretend they're part of the anxiety phobic triad, but they try and outrun it, outpace it, outlaugh it, outdo it. And so people are always surprised when they find out people are sevens because they don't always look like sevens because they don't look anxious like sixes or brooding like fives. But when you get to know a seven, you really can see that underneath it's coming from an anxiety. So example, Sassy. She's got a minor role in this, but every time you see her, she wants to be like the life of the party. Just her name. I mean, they called it, right? Exactly. I mean, like, you can look at people's names sometimes, right? Yeah. And almost, almost predict what they are on the Enneagram sometimes. So she's got this chutzpah sassy. piece, the Sassy named, piece, right? They named her Sassy. For a reason. Keely. And, and, and I mean, you can feel like it's jokes. It's all jokes. It's all jokes. But underneath the surface, you can feel there's something yeah. brood, brewing. Right. Um, and then sure. one, of, one of my favorites, Keely. Tell us about Keely Jones. Well, she's like the social influencer. She mm -hmm. starts out as that. She's happy, upbeat, friendly, obviously dating um, Jamie initially. And kind of an unserious character initially. You kind of think of her as unserious. She becomes more important, more serious, you know, as time goes on. Um, and, and she has some baggage kicking around in there. We, we eventually find out to your point of maybe being enthusiastic to mass some baggage. Yeah, there's a fun lightheartedness that isn't so fun underneath the surface, which is oftentimes the case for sevens. Right. right. 
especially sexual sevens. Sexual sevens are like the most future focused, the most animated, the most, you know, like, let's just go for it. And you can feel Keely really growing up in the show by standing still, not running away, not running off to La La Land and really, you know, like taking her life and her job seriously. And that's how a seven grows, taking on responsibility. So, yes. All right. Let's get to the remaining time we have eights, nines, and ones, the body type, the the gut type. Uh, who do we start with? I love all three of these characters. I mean, my favorite character in that group is Roy Kent. I mean, he has to be the quintessential eight. He's here. He's there. He's every fucking where. Roy Kent. He is so intense. <laughs> and when I think of an eight... You call them the challenger, but I call them the intense. Yeah, that's good. They are so intense and intense in a way that also says, you know, these are people who are so definite. They're definite. They're intense. Um, there's a sense of control and a sense of it's power. You feel the power oozing out of these people. And anger. It could be. Like said, the fear is from, it probably emanates maybe from anger you know, just to some degree, they're not sevens in the sense that it's emanating from that they're happy, they're intense. Yeah. You know, the power probably could be identified or, or manifest as anger, right? That it's not coming from a lighthearted place. So, you know, speaking as an eight on behalf of fellow eights, it's not that we're angry over about something. We're always angry. The question is, is what do we do with that? Do we channel it or do we, does it become a fire that consumes us? And Roy is the perfect example because you can feel that fire is just consuming him and it burns everybody and everything in his path until he starts to do his work. And what's yeah. so interesting is the work of an eight is to become more innocent, more simple, more childlike. Um, well, what is, you can feel his heart isn't Keely as he falls in love with Keely later on, but his heart is Phoebe. Oh no, his niece, right? I mean, it, it is, that's the part where you start to see the, intensity change when he takes care of his his niece that he loves right it's his salvation it is a salvation but but he's the you know, said the, he's the ultimate nuclear power plant yeah there's uh there's an intensity a life force and an eight like no other type and what yeah. depends what you do the with brick, it it's, I call, it's the brick wall people it's like okay there's a brick wall who is running through it the eight which is the great eight until you know you run through brick walls that aren't meant to be run through or they're not oh, yours to run through it hurts to run and, through and, but these are the people who are no matter what you give them there's no obstacle right that's, that's just right. that that's how i look at even like roy is that way there's there's no stopping an eight once they've set their sights on whatever yeah. they've set it on yeah. good or bad for um, sure and so you know roy is one of the most interesting i think um, characters in this. I think he's one of the most important characters on the field, um, holding that team together, even after he's no longer talented. He's still the the life force of that team. And that's what an eight at their best can do. At the worst, you know, there's a lot of destruction, a lot of cleanup that comes after a unhealthy eight, which we'll get to with Led Tasso. But first, May. You know, May's kind of a side character, but she's always there kind of shutting down the BS. Right. They just an eight have a, a sniffer for six cents for BS. Right. And they just shut yeah. it down. Kind of matter of fact, yeah. in, in many ways, the politeness factor is not really part of part of it. Right. It's just like here it is. 
And that's a good segue into lead tasso. Tell us about lead tasso. Well, I guess lead tasso is the you know the alter ego, right? Yeah. So he's uh yeah. So for anybody watching, Ted Lasso decides to um, as we used to say back in the day, open up a can of whoop ass and go hard on the team. And he yeah. says, "Watch this!" And he flips a switch, and he becomes not Ted Lasso, but lead tasso. And that's all eight. Well, what's interesting is look at the two and the eight and that line. I see this with twos all the time. They can look very eight-ish if they're unhealthy, if they're not conscious, or when they want to be strong. I've seen it a lot in counseling twos that go through divorce. They turn into lead tasso. Yeah. And it was like this helping, nurturing person all of a sudden becomes that like anger. Yeah, if you, I think it seems like if you break a two, if a two feels broken, they turn into that eight to some to some degree. To I don't know if it's to lash out or to gain control, but like you said, you can see that, right? But I'm not sure how long it can last. In lead tasso, it only lasted. Right, it, it has a shelf life. They can't maintain it. Versus Roy Kent. Well, Roy Kent, constantly. Yeah, is always. You know, he's never gonna. He, he he he's a you know he's so far on the continuum that you, you might mute it but lead tasso has a few minutes of being eight right and then he can't can't sustain it it's not who they are it's where they go to that's why that line between two and eight is called the stress line because right. a two under stress looks like an unhealthy eight now a two can do the work become strong and go to eight a little more subdued and harnessed and become a very strong eight and that's in a two but yeah Lead tassel really shows you that alter ego of the two. And okay, any anything else on eights, or should we look at uh, Sam? Well, Sam's such a great character, isn't he? So tell us about Sam and the peacemaker. Well, I think Sam is. I don't know if he's from. Was in Nigeria. Uh, he's a, you know, probably one of the most talented, you know, players on the team. He's a very happy, happy guy, and uh, he falls in love with you know. Well, spoiler alert, <laughs> with with Rebecca, the one, and and vice versa, which is you know, you know, so interesting, you know, because they're complete opposites in their demeanor. They are in their demeanor, but underneath the surface, what's interesting is, I couldn't decide if Sam was a, a nine or a seven. Sometimes it's hard for me to tell because they are both light, but Danny felt more seven-ish because he felt more like he was doing it for fun you know, living his life for fun and experience. And Sam felt like he was really trying to keep the peace. It, it, it could be because he, he does talk about his village. He talks about his country. He talks about a lot deeper stuff in the sense of he's, he knows that he, he's representing um, something bigger in, in many ways, right? He doesn't want to offend, you know, a lot or upset people. So this is also a complex piece of the nines. People misunderstand that nines are peacemakers, meaning they're not able to fight, to make a stand, to to be rough and, you know, um, whatever needs to happen for truth and justice. But that's not true. You know, Obama, Reagan, um, Clinton, um, lots of great leaders have been nines. So there's but the, but but they're never as angry and fiery as the eights. But there's a fire underneath that's a little more harnessed. And you see it with Sam when he makes a stand for his country over abuses by the sponsoring uh, company of his right. soccer team. Yeah. He leads a rebellion. 
Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny because I, I try to, you know, think about this as you do it and understand the nines a lot more because as, as you help me analyze the people around me, certainly in my life and business, who knew I, I have more nines than I thought. Hmm. So it makes me think a lot. I'm like, why, why is that? Or, you know, how does it happen? People like Sam, you know, I like to think of nines partially as peacemakers, but also people who like equilibrium. They just want balance between, you know, things. They just don't want an equal amount of energy and lack of energy. And like an eight, which is, you know, nuclear power in a three, which kind of goes that way. So they just like the balance of things. They don't want, they don't like things out of too much positive or negative energy. And in that way, they're like a two. They don't always, they all, they tend towards a supporting role, but Sam at the beginning of the show is not, it's not that he's not a good soccer player. It's that he doesn't want to step into his power into, into the limelight. And I think you're asking me why, or you didn't ask me why, but you referenced how, why, there are so many nines in your life. I think partially because nines want to become more three-like and step in onto the stage. So Sam becoming more like Jamie, stepping into that role. And threes want to become more nine-like to be a little more peacemaker, a little more in it for the team, for other. So they have a lot to offer each other. Yeah, I yeah. guess, like you said, that's why why they're connected. And uh, But they seem to be seeking that balance Yes. Um, like you said, so that's it's it, it's very, very interesting. All of this is just so massively interesting. So, so I guess one last one before we wrap up, Rebecca Welton. Let me let, let's let's debate it because you said eight. Make the case for eight. Make the case for eight. She, I want to say she is actually my favorite character. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll say that first. So maybe I'm biased, but. She is the owner of the team who came out of the spot, you know, from Rupert. And she does take charge. She does seem like she's in control, you know, partially out of her circumstance. She's kind of dominating partially physically. Mm -hmm. um, she is a, seems to be a great leader. At yeah. first, she seems like a harsh leader, but she turns into, I think, a good leader who makes great decisions, who is meant to be in control of things. And meant to lead. She, I think she's a, I think she does have excellent leadership skills, and I equate eights with excellent leadership skills. So I would say that I thought she was an eight too, partially because eights get hell bent on revenge. Um, and you see, coming out of a jack place there, you know. <laughs> and uh, you know that um, that beginning of the show, it was all for her. It was all yeah. about getting revenge on her ex-husband Rupert. Um, and then she morphs and becomes softer, but. Eights, nines, and ones again are angry, and so there's an anger there. I think that definitively puts her in the 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 action instinct triad. Now I moved her to one. I don't know, last minute, but in the, my process of making this for a couple reasons. One is it's it's almost like she's not in touch with her anger. Like eights express their anger. Roy, right? I mean, he must drop the f bomb one thousand times during the show. And with Rebecca, there feels like this repressed anger it's underneath the surface yeah i wonder for her if she if she was you know if she was an eight before she was married or the anger is coming because of her circumstances of the divorce mm -hmm. you know how that how those traumatic events trigger people and how it changes their enneagrams or at what point you know are you born or what and when you, you were you born an eight 
I think we are born our number and I think we stay our number, but I think we can learn to get to the higher side of our number. We can start to access other numbers. We can really develop those lines right. and those wings. So, you know, the eight is a possibility for her, but I also feel like she is so much more um, controlled than most eights you see. I mean, look at May, yeah. look at Roy, look at lead. They blow up like she I don't even think she wants no. to she blow up. I can see your point for she's very traditional. She's very conservative. Organized. She's very, you know, by the numbers. No, no, no question about that. She's she's very rigid. Um, ones I've seen this when I've gone to hug ones that like stiffen up a little bit like a board because oh, yeah. yeah. you're yeah. kind of in a strange territory for them. And she, a few times she really has a hard time with the intimacy, with the emotional connection, which I see right. with ones. Well, we've, her mother's a seven, right? Maybe, or remember her mother? Yeah, maybe. Or her seven, or she's, you know. Her father um, sounds abusive. Right, the father was probably an eight, in the sense of maybe. Maybe. I, um, I don't know, but she, she definitely went through some, some trauma. So, so I think, yeah, so I think there's that um, just developing kind of a survival um, structure to con you know, there's a control element with ones you can feel like they're controlling the right. chaos of their life, like we talked about before. Right, right. They like they like order. So that's, I think that's that's so so true. So I guess we'll leave her as a one. All You're right. the expert. Well, there's you know, I guess as we wrap up, there's no perfect place to put these folks. And and Mick and I thought it would be fun to talk through the reasoning as much as just showing you a picture. And this is the reasoning. And, and you can make yeah. a case for moving Rebecca over to the eight. I think that's the interesting part is making the case. And I think, you know, when I looked at this and and you helped me analyze my organization, unbelievably, where I, if I, when I looked at the pictures of my organization, I found that people only fall into like three categories out of the nine, mm -hmm. which is an insight for me to, to, to add different people over time into different categories. And why I think this show is, is so amazing is that when B just did this, there, there are people all over the Enneagram. So it, it's so holistic mm -hmm. as a show because they cover everything. And I, I think if you probably look at a less successful show, you might find that they're missing pieces in, in the Enneagram. And yes. part of the thing I'm um, realizing from what you've taught me is that all of these, all of these numbers have superpowers, as you put it. So if you can get someone with their superpower in each one of these, you can build the best team. That's right. And that's where I've, you know, I'm, I'm looking to do as I add people to my life and to my business and other things and why this is so important. So I'm like, as, as we know, I don't have a lot of sevens. Um, I don't have necessarily a lot of sixes in, or, or eights. So knowing that now you're like, you're missing a lot of resources as a result. And it's superpowers. So I think it makes for an interesting show to have this kind of diversity. I think it makes yeah. for a successful TV show, but a successful company. And I've been working with a few companies who are really plugging holes in their roster based on a slide, just like this that I make for their company, for you. That, that's how you did it. You did the slide. And when I looked at the slide, I was like, oh, my God, everyone is clustered into a few places and I wonder why I'm not achieving what I want to achieve in certain other areas because I don't have the right resources to, to do that. But at least 
you know, it's like, it's like trying to put a wide receiver into a linebacker role. Like you, you know, is. you've got to know your players. It is, but the visual of it, and I know you've done this with some of your, your business clients, which once you put this up and everyone realizes they're all, uh, you know, in the same category and they wonder why they have people who aren't on the right seats on the bus mm-hmm. or there's one person when you need four in that area, you're like, Oh, wow. Or it's you're trying to promote moment. the, or you're trying to promote a four into a job that they don't do. It's not that's what they right. do. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, it, this is, I, I always think of this as your best slide that you've, you've created in your, in, in the system. Uh, this slide summarizes everything and when you look at it, you can just see so much. I, I love, I love this. That's why this was so great with Ted Lasso. But I think, you know, for for the listening audience, and um, you know, when you need assistance in doing things, he, he, B has three or four slides that that are sublime. They're just amazing. When you look at it, it tells you everything you need to know in in one spot. I think this this one could be the, you know one of the top three for sure, maybe even the best one. Yeah. It's been amazing. We'll do a whole talk on the a sh- a show on this, you and I about diversity, but I've s- sat down with a couple of companies that thought they were diverse because of skin color and sexual orientation and religion and all these great things that we need to make sure we are addressing as a society. And then we looked at the slides and it didn't show diversity. They were all sevens. They all right. thought like seven. every single person in that particular organization thought like a seven. And then we have no diversity because we're thinking all like sevens. We have no fives. We have no sixes. And there's no right. room at our table. Yeah. And clearly, you know, certain um, occupations and job types need different personalities. That's right. And, and it's just like whether you're a company or whether you're an individual, are you willing to take a hard look at yourself? Like this company I'm working with, they're amazing. I won't say their name, but they're amazing. And they said is we want to start addressing this pain point. Because we want to make sure fives and sixes have a place at our table, both for them, because we want to give them opportunity, but for us, so we can grow as a company. And whether it's a company or an individual or a family, I do this for families, this is an opportunity for us to look at this as a mirror and then to really start making adjustments based on what we're seeing. Do we like it? Do we not like it? And it takes a lot of courage. So, No, I think that's what is, is so great about this is identifying what I, you know, like to think of the gaps and do you need to identify, you know, do you need to address it? Well, I think the Ted Lasso and the um, Enneagram of TV shows is a great way for us to mix up our very deep and important conversation around um, investor types, but uh, we also want to have some fun and bring it to, to real life. So hopefully we accomplished that. I think we did. No, I mean, like I said you've you you deserve the Nobel Prize in in, in this for sure. Enneagram, thank you. You're very kind, Nick. It's You're a pleasure welcome. working with you and bringing this to our audience. No, it's it, 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 it's amazing. So, thank you for tuning in, everybody. We'll probably be back to the regular scheduled program on the next one. Where we'll be diving into. I think we're up to Enneagram six. You can get all five of the previous types um, as in, individuals and as investors. Two different podcasts. And um, we look forward to many, many more Enneagram conversations with you. Until then, defy your number and live your spirit. See you, Mick. Hey, see you, B. Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit podcast with me, your host, Dr. Baruch Halevi. The Defiant Spirit is an offering of Soul Center to Center for Spirituality, Meaning, 
and healing. And if you'd like to learn more about the Divine Spirit or Soul Center, get more inspirational content, access to a variety of online programs, or see how we might work together to discover deeper meaning in your life, greater purpose for your life, or live the Defiant Spirit power within your life, visit DefiantSpirit.org. Until then, keep living your Defiant Spirit.